Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Cone of Shame Veterinary Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Andy Rourke. Guys, before we get into it today, I got to let you know I've got something super cool coming up for those of you who like to write or make videos or do podcasts or do the social media. It is my uh, personal branding workshop. I'm doing it through Uncharted Veterinary Conference, and I'm going to be talking about how to make a personal brand as a veterinarian or vet professional that works, that is functional, that lets you do your job better, that builds trust with clients, that actually converts to be something that not only do you enjoy, not only do you find rewarding, but you also get benefits from and opportunities from for yourself and for your vet practice. That is going to be March 28th. It's a two-hour workshop. I'll put a link down below, but, uh, but it is through Uncharted, as I said, and I am really, really looking forward to it. Today on the cone, I have the one and only... Uncle Mikey Share is back again. If you have not heard Dr. Share on this podcast before, you missed out. Uh, Dr. Michael Share is a living legend. He is a professor emeritus at the University of Florida, still uh, still on the floor there, seeing cases. The guy has 50 years of high-level clinical experience. He's the author of five textbooks. He has trained literally thousands of Florida Gator veterinarians, myself included. He is a bottomless pit of knowledge and today i dig into parvovirus and specifically parvovirus on a budget with him it is definitely worth your time and your energy check it check it out i hope i hope you'll enjoy this as much as i do god love me some mikey sheriff this is a good one let's get into it this is your show we're glad you're here we want to help veterinary career welcome to the cone of shame with dr andy rourke dr michael share thanks uncle mikey for being back with us i appreciate it my pleasure to be here andy oh, excellent i i want to run past you uh, just a classic case and uh and get your thoughts on it i think it's something that that uh every veterinarian out there deals with and um and I remember your lectures on parvovirus, and I just want to—I uh, just want to talk the the disease through with you quickly. Okay, fire right. away. I have uh, the classic parvo case. I have a ten-week-old male intact pit bull puppy named Diesel, and Diesel came from the flea market about six days ago, and um. And the owners are here because Diesel is just dumpy and having some diarrhea and doesn't want to eat. And I see this dog and my parvo sense goes off in a big way. The owners have said that they have uh, fairly limited resources to work with uh, this dog. And so now I am looking at the dog. I, I, I Let's just say that I've been told our budget is, is somewhere around 300 ish dollars um depending on where we are in the world but um but let's just say it's sort of generally kind of around that area uh so limited resources i think this dog's got parvo i'm gonna have to make some decisions as far as the diagnostics and how i approach this and what my priorities are can you help can you help me kind of walk through what your thoughts would be sure um i'm going to assume that the people will not be able to hospitalize the puppy and that you're going to be stuck dealing with an outpatient situation until that fails and then you're going to be with your back against the wall saying now i need critical care 
Right. Okay. So initially, what I'm always going to think about, especially if it's adopted from the flea market, is go for all things treatable. In other words, I would want to do a fecal and look for parasites as well, as two problems can coexist, or just uh, do a little shotgun approach if the puppy's not regurgitating and vomiting too much to go ahead and start some antelminic treatment because if we could get rid of a worm load, then we're just left to deal with the, the viral disease. Mm-hmm. Okay, the, the, the next thing is, what do you do about the parvovirus itself? Well, there's nothing you could do to kill the virus off. It's gonna have to run its course, and you're gonna have those that make it and those that don't make it. Mm-hmm. But hydration is important, nutrition is important, and protecting against secondary bacterial infection is very, very important. So if you could do a diagnostic test, I would probably want to do a total white count uh, just to check for any severe leukopenia because the, the greater the leukopenia, then the greater the chances of overwhelming bacterial sepsis okay. from the, uh, from, from the bacteria in the GI tract, but you're going to anticipate that threat anyway. Now you're left with a real sick puppy, and with these things in mind, you could start off with sub-Q fluids. Now, there was a paper published in JVEC sometime this year or last year that described the outpatient management of, of, uh, of, of sick puppies with parvovirus. And quite a few of them did just fine. And that justified that approach where subcute fluids can be done as an outpatient on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could even teach the people how to give uh, fractionated doses of the fluid sub-Q in 25 to 50 ml aliquots subcutaneously. That'll take care of the hydration situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as nutrition is concerned, this is where it's going to be tricky because if they're not wanting to eat, then you're going to consider using some type of nasal gastric tube okay. for feeding them that the people might be able to work with uh, as an outpatient basis. I'm always cautious with that in case the tube migrates and, right. and then you get a problem with aspiration, etc. But again, if you only have one way and one way only as per the owner's options, then uh, you take the, the necessary risks that go with it, with the mm-hmm. owner's understanding. Right. right. So, you know, if you put in an NG tube, you're going to instruct them on what can go wrong. And, and uh, hopefully there, you won't have those complications. Uh, antibiotic-wise, um, it's probably going to be a liquid antibiotic and um, with gram-negative coverage. And you could put that down the NG tube or... Um, or per os if the puppy can hold it down. Mm-hmm. So maintaining hydration, giving energy, preventing infection, it's uh, philosophically very similar to what the World Health, Health Organization does in the third world countries with these kids who get cholera. Mm-hmm. And they basically go with dextrose and electrolyte solutions orally 
And those kids go from near death to a slow recovery in yeah. many situations. So the efficaciousness of that approach has already been proven time and again with human beings and with some of the papers that have been published in veterinary medicine likewise. Okay. <clears throat> so I have a okay. of questions. So um, do you have tricks to help me um, clarify my crystal ball as far as prognosis when I see these cases? When I look at this uh, 10-week-old puppy, I have no idea how this is going to go. You know, if they're going to respond. Are there any tips or tricks, anything that you can see? You're shaking your head no. Join the club. Yeah. <laughs> Really, it's it's all touch and go. Um, obviously, if they maintain a level of consciousness and responsiveness and their body temperatures remain stable and their vital signs can remain stable, that you're, those are real good clinical criteria. Uh, I don't believe in running blood lactates or anything like that for prognostic value. I basically like to ask the patient, how are you doing? And then I like the patient to look back at me and say, I'm hanging in there, doc. Yeah. Okay. But as soon as he goes south and bottoms out, that's not going to be so great. Mm -hmm. So um, I think if you look at the patient and stay close to the patient, uh, that'll, that'll be a very valuable resource. Okay. Go, going sort of through your, your treatment plan. With the sub-Q fluids, I, I'm not... <clears throat> I, I'm just going to be honest with you. I have not heard of or thought about, I guess, the sub-Q. You talked about aliquots of 25 to 50 milliliter fluids. or have, walk, walk me through what that what you mean when you say that. that that's that's a okay. new concept to me. Okay. Well, years ago, uh, I have seen colleagues give like 150 to 200 ml of fluid sub-Q in one spot. Mm -hmm. And I've seen a couple tissue sloughs that go with that. And they are big time tissue sloughs. Okay. Because what's basically happening when you deposit that much fluid sub-Q, you're stretching the, the hypodermal vasculature to the point where you'll get ischemia mm -hmm. and then you could get a, a uh, significant slough. And in fact, uh, this was um, something not uncommon in the parvo puppies. Um, there was this this population that would show that. So years back when I was at the AMC, I, I realized that um, dogs are not like cats. Cats can cat skin is more resilient than dog skin. Mm -hmm. And I find that in cats, I never gave more than uh, on an adult cat more than 50 ml at one particular site. So I stay behind the scapula and in front of the wing of the oleum, and I would go 50, 50, 50, 50. Okay. Or maybe give just 150 ml, uh, 50, 50, and 50. And, but if we're talking about an eight-week-old puppy, okay, that's a different ballgame. We're not talking about an eight-week-old puppy that weighs five kilos. Uh, we're talking eight-week-old puppy is going to weigh maybe one or two kilos. Mm-hmm. And uh, so your sub-Q volumes are going to be uh, appreciably less, where you might be talking uh, maybe uh, 15 to 20 ml. Mm -hmm. 
and, okay. and, and instead of stretching that skin out. So okay. I like to spread it out rather than overstretch that skin. Basically. Do you have a do you have a basic rule of thumb for how you pick your uh, sub Q fluid volumes when you're treating these patients? Do you kind of eyeball it, or you know, well, yeah? Are there is there a calculation that you do? How, well, how do you how do you pick that? I do the standard uh, estimated degree of dehydration. Gotcha. And uh, then I look at their body weight maintenance. So I add the dehydration deficit according to five, seven, ten percent dehydrated. Uh, to the maintenance, and that's going to be uh, somewhat what they should get in 24 hours, but it doesn't account for ongoing losses. If they have mm. voluminous diarrhea, then sometimes that volume can double. Yeah. So um, uh, part of it is uh, is uh, touch and go. Yeah. But you split that you split that volume up over over probably more than one administration if you feel Absolutely. like it's significant. Yeah. yeah. Um, two times a day is the usual practical delivery method um, as far as what people might be able to do at home if they're working, uh, where they they do it in the morning and they do it uh, when they come home from work. Okay. How, how long do you cover with an antibiotic for? So we want to prevent secondary bacterial infection uh, yeah. What what is kind of the window that you're that you're looking at and anticipating here? Well, a lot of that is going to depend on who you read. Okay. But a lot of the textbooks will say to give the antibiotic uh, probably for no more than maybe three days beyond the point their temperature normalizes. Okay. But a lot of that depends on what's their white count doing. I mean. It, if you have um, 75 total neutrophils, I might want to cover that a little bit longer, uh, knowing that they're immunocompromised. Okay. So, in a nutshell, it's basically seven to ten days. That's okay. what, that's what you've been doing most of the time in your practice, and that's what I've done in my practice for you know when I was doing full-time internal medicine. Okay. No, the, the the three days post normalization of of temperature that that makes a ton of sense. Like that that's an easy way to sort of conceptualize this. So I guess that's sort of philosophically, I was sort of looking at at, at timeline there. How quickly? I I know exactly what you're going to say here. How quickly do you go to the nasogastric tube when you have a patient like this that that doesn't want to eat? What I have seen with the Establishment of the emergency and critical care service here at UF, mm -hmm. we use it a lot. We use nasal gastric tube feedings a lot. And in the critically ill, we'll graduate them into a esophageal tube mm -hmm. if we foresee that they'll need the, the nutrition for a longer period of time. But if it's only temporary, maybe for five to seven days even, uh, a lot of services will try that uh, NG route before they opt to go into the E-tube gotcha. route. And Perfect. the E-tube the e has essentially replaced the G-tube and the J-tube in most situations. Mm -hmm. So for every decade that I've been practicing medicine, I've watched these trends change where uh, now the object is to get the food into the stomach 
and take advantage of the fact that you want food in the proximal duodenum so that you can keep the mucosal defense system intact. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the basic um, objectives as to why you want to provide the nutrition besides, of course, meeting the caloric needs of the pediatric patient. Yeah. Do you think that's because of improvements in the prescription diets, the critical care diets that we have as far as, it seems like there's been a real shift in making those more liquidy so that you can push them through tubes, Absolutely. things like that. Absolutely. It may, it's, it's, it's made a big difference. Um, where now we're using uh, Jevity quite often. And, uh, or sometimes it'll be a liquefied um, um, special diet if, right. if it could go down the tube. So your limitations are going to be the diameter of the tube uh, versus the uh, texture of the food that you're giving. Perfect. All right. Well, this is this is great. I really appreciate it. This is definitely going to uh, help me prioritize and make the uh, make the decisions I need to make. Any uh, any landmines I need to look out for? Any uh, anything that trip people up? Any common mistakes that you see practitioners make? Um, sometimes um, getting too much is no good. This is especially prominent in fluid therapy. Mm-hmm. I mean, if your little puppy is dehydrated 10% and he's in hypovolemic shock, giving sub-Q fluids is not going to do it. Right. So in those situations, you're going to have to meet the crisis with uh, perhaps some IV fluids, at least for the first round, before they go home on sub-Q fluids. So um, you're, you're basically in a wasteland when you deposit things sub-Q when you have peripheral vasal collapse. Right, okay, totally, makes sense. Perfect, thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. I really appreciate right, your time. Well, glad to be here, it's uh, been a pleasure, and uh, you always ask me easy questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good, they're easy for you. I'm, I'm over here, just just like this is a, a, a flashback to vet school, is when I, I am struggling uh, mightily, and you're like, oh, this is easy stuff, and I'm going, oh no. So. Yeah, it's all relative, <laughs> I know, it's all relative. Thank you, sir. Oh, you're welcome. Well, that's it, guys. That's the episode. That's what I got for you today. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of it. As always, if you did, please share it with your friends. We want to help as many people as possible. It also helps if you're up for writing an honest review of the podcast on iTunes. That's how people find us. It, uh, it really does make a difference in how we pop up and get new listeners so that we can talk some medicine with them. Anyway, thanks again for being here. Uh, if there's ever anything that you are looking for as far as information, let me know. Shoot me an email. The email address is podcast at drandyrourke.com. That's podcast at d-r-a-n-d-y-r-o-a-r-k.com. Take care. Be well. See you guys next week. Bye. Hey, Andy, I hear that there are some super exciting things coming up on the calendar. You want to give everybody a rundown on them? Oh, boy, are there super exciting things. We've got all kinds of stuff coming up in about a week from the time this episode comes out. It'll be February 17th. We have instant team buy-in the lean board with Mark Nunez. This is a practical tool 
for getting decisions made in your practice and getting your team to buy into said decisions. It is 90 minutes to the point you will leave with a tool that you can use. It is one of the most, if not the most requested workshops. We have at Uncharted because people in Uncharted use it and they love it and Mark keeps getting asked to do this. And so we're gonna open this one up to the public. It's free to Uncharted members. It's $99 to the public. And March 28th, I am doing personal branding with Dr. Andy Rourke. This is all about marketing as an individual. This is about building functional brands. And when I say that, this is about getting opportunities, about getting clients in the door at your clinic, about growing revenues, actually doing work uh, with your art, whether that's writing or making videos or podcasting or doing photography, or um, if you cross stitch and, and write educational <laughs> things, I don't, I don't know, whatever you do, it doesn't matter. I will teach you how to build that into a brand that is actually worthwhile. This is not a social media class. It is not a basics of Facebook class, none of that stuff. This is very much high strategy. This is a deep dive on marketing, using an, an individual as the focal point of said marketing. So that is on March 28th. That is also free to our members. There's a, there's a trend here. Free to our members and $99 to the public. That's March 28th. I would love to see everybody there. Stephanie, what do you think? Sound good? I love it.